Well, there's a powerful line in the 2016 movie called Lion, and it's this, I have to find my way home. The movie's a true story about Saru, a five-year-old growing up in India, and the train went right through his hometown. He was there with his older brother, Gudu, and they got separated, and so here Saru, at five years old, climbs into a train that is going to Calcutta. He falls asleep in the car, ends up 900 miles away from home. That's a little bit like leaving Chicago and ending up in Tampa. The difference, though, is he was now in a place that did not speak his language. So here he is, five years old, he can't say where he's from, and he gets picked up by the authorities. The authorities put him into an orphanage, he still can't explain where his hometown is, he gets adopted out. He ends up with a family in Australia, and he picks up the name Briarly, Saru Briarly. Each day he had this imagining thought, almost like a dream of what his hometown was really like. And he could see himself walking the streets of his home village. Fast forward about 20 years, he's hanging with some friends. He's now 25 years old, 26 years old, and they say, you, with your vivid imagination of all that you have seen from your early five-year-old picture, Use Google Earth to try to track your home. And he does that. He follows all the train lines out of Calcutta. He eventually finds a train station through Google Earth of exactly the fit of his memory at five years old. At 26 years old, he travels to his home village and he gets reunited with his mother, who had been waiting all these years to connect again. What that story tells me, though, is that there is a hunger in all of our hearts for home. The question is, do we have the right map? The map to our home, our true home. This morning, I want to look at some scripture out of the Gospel of John. If you have a Bible, there's some on the chairs. If you have a device, that's awesome. I always want to encourage people to look at the Word. There's a reason why I like that. It's because the Word is eternal. It's powerful. It's unlike any other Word that we come across. We read all kinds of blogs. We read newspapers and magazines, all kinds of other things. But this Word stands alone. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand as I read the word? John chapter 5, I'm going to pick up in verse 24. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, 
so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Father, as we look at your word, we ask that your spirit would enlighten our minds, that you, God, would bring us into the truth of your word. Show us how it stands apart from anything else. And then, God, as we heard earlier in the service about transformed lives, God, would you change us? Would you transform us? Would you do your work by the power of your Spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. This morning as we look at this, I have two points. The first point is simply this, that Jesus has the power to change destinies. Jesus has the power to change destinies. Now, what I mean by that is he has the power to determine the direction of our lives, especially the ultimate direction. Of course, as we've read this passage, we came across the word life several times. Several times we heard Jesus talk about life. And so we need to just take a moment thinking about that word. Sometimes it can be a little bit abstract, but Jesus was using it probably in the context of the Old Testament that had the idea of a complete fulfillment, a life that was, was weighty, a, a life that would have substance, a life that would have meaning, a life that would have purpose. And no wonder Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly or that you might have it to the full. That Jesus was in interested in this life that we could have. Sometimes he calls it eternal life. Sometimes we refer to it as resurrection life. It's a quality of life that transcends anything that we find on this earth. On this earth, what do we find? We find things that lack real weight, real substance. Sometimes we find ourselves looking for meaning. We're trying to find purpose. We're trying to find things that would hold life together, and we can't find it. Let me just take for a moment how many texts maybe you send out in a day. And you, you send out maybe tens, scores, hundreds of texts, but at the end of the day, you still feel a little bit empty. Like maybe you didn't quite connect. Or think about the time spent on Facebook. How many of us will just scroll through Facebook and all of a sudden an hour goes by. Another hour goes by. But at the end, you still feel a little empty. You feel like you're missing out on something. You feel like you want more in this life. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in the passage. He, he's talking about this, this kind of eternal life. And, and we can't find it on our own, but God gives it. He, he grants it. And sometimes, because this idea of life is a little bit abstract, I wanted to switch it and bring it to the idea of home. Because we hunger for home. And why is it that we hunger for home? And it doesn't matter what age you are. All of us have this innate sense, I want roots. 
I want a place where I, where I belong. It's why we spend so much money on DNA testing and Ancestry.com. If it wasn't for fear, probably all of us would do it. But some of us just don't want our information out there. But there's a sense in which we're looking for roots. A place to belong. And what is a family? Maybe not your family, but an ideal family. It's a place where you find love. It's a place where you're accepted. It's a place where you can be who you are and you're embraced. We've got this longing in our hearts. It's a hunger for home. And it's just like what Jesus is talking about, life. Something that's full and meaningful. And so when we hear the story of Saru and he says, I've got to find my home. I've got to find my way back. There was a longing that was planted in his heart to find his mom, to find his roots, to find what we are calling a true home. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about. But let's, let's drill down a little bit more into verse 24. Because Jesus starts out with this truly, truly. Now, when Jesus says this, what he's trying to do is say to us as the readers, hey, listen up. Pay attention to what I'm going to say because what I'm going to say next is really, really important. And so he says, whoever hears my words, right? Who's ever listening? Not just from the head, but from the heart. Who's ever dialed in from the inside and believes my Father who sent me. There's a reason why he said that. Because in the context of John chapter 5, Jesus was making himself equal with God. And so when he says, whoever hears my words and believes the one, my Father who sent me, this was so offensive. They were angry with Jesus. That was a response 2,000 years ago. But isn't it interesting? That's the same response today. You just mention Jesus and people get angry. People want to step away from this person, Jesus, because you can't listen to his words and walk away saying, I'm just neutral on him. Because he claims amazing things. He claims to be equal with God in John 5. And here he's saying, I am the answer to life. If you want real life, it's through me. If you want that hunger satisfied for home, I will give you the map, not Google Earth. See, it was Jesus bringing these thoughts together. It was Jesus who offended, but look at that last phrase, has passed from death to life. The person who believes the one who sent Jesus, the one who trusts what the Father said about Jesus, that one passes from death to life. The one who believes the Father. When the Father said in a voice that many heard, this is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. 
That was the voice when Jesus was baptized. If you believe the Father and listen to the Son, you'll pass from death to life. Now death, John doesn't write a lot about death. But what he means by that word is people that are disconnected from God. People that are disconnected with a life that has substance and weight, purpose and meaning. It's all gone. And this world is constantly trying to find ways to give us meaning, to establish purpose. And many of us are on that treadmill. Just work a little harder. Make a little more money. Get your life more comfortable. Have more sex. Do more drugs. Right? All of these things are ways that we try to push down, tamp down that hunger for home. And we can't do it. Those who pass from death to life. There's two destinies. Two destinies. And it's pretty simple. All of us, apart from God, are destined to a life of death, of weightlessness, of no meaning, no purpose, of scrambling, of trying to make it work. Or, if we listen to Jesus and believe the Father who sent Him, we go to life. And that life is only in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is making this clear, and this is offensive Because what Jesus is doing is he's cutting off all other avenues to God. What he's saying is, I'm the only one. And so he says that over and over. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one is going to get to God apart from me. It was offensive 2,000 years ago, and it was offensive. It's offensive today. So who passes from death to life? The one who hears and the one who believes. What Jesus wants to do is reunite us with our true family. He wants us on this earth who are destined to death to cross over, to pass through, and get reunited with our Heavenly Father, our true family. So Jesus has the power to change destinies. Secondly, he has the power to raise people from the dead. That's what's so amazing about life, is that it's a life that's alive with a new kind of power. Now, Jesus, when he's talking about life, and he's talking about resurrection, as we'll see in a few moments, probably anybody could say that. But would you believe them? Maybe you would believe them if they would back it up. Maybe we would trust them. Let's look at verse 25 to 27 again. Notice in 25, it says, truly, truly. There again, Jesus is saying, okay, I've got something else I want to tell you. Listen up. And he says, an hour's coming. And then he says, is now here. The time has arrived. And he's not talking... In the future, he's talking right where he's standing on the earth. Well, what time has arrived? When the dead, those who are alienated from God, 
But those who are also physically dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now, we know that he's talking about the dead who are physical because we'll see in a minute that he's going to raise them. He's going to raise everybody from the dead. But what Jesus is doing is saying he has power to raise people from the dead. Now, who would believe such a claim? Maybe. Maybe you and I would believe someone to make a claim if they actually did it. And isn't that what Jesus did? Remember the story in Luke? The story of the widow? The widow whose son had died? Now, what makes that story so powerful is the, the, the nature of the story. The widow, she had no safety net. Her husband is gone. There was no one to provide for her, no one to protect her in that culture. And then her son, who would be next in line to provide for her, to protect her, he dies. This woman is destitute. She's desperate. And Jesus walks into the scene in Nain, small town in the upper north part of Israel. And Jesus raises him from the dead. You know the story of Jairus' daughter, 12 years old, dead. Jesus raises her from the dead. You know the story of his friend, his good friend, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. He's dead in the tomb four days. He says, roll the stone away. And he calls Lazarus out and he raises him from the dead. Now, why did Jesus do that? I think it's the same reason that he healed people. I think it's the same reason he cast out demons. He wanted to show people that he had power and authority and what life would be like in the future. What do I mean life in the future? I mean in heaven. Did you know there's no sickness in heaven? So when he healed people, he was giving them a picture of what heaven was going to be like. When he cast out demons, he said, I want to give you a picture of what heaven's going to be like. There are no demons there. And when he raised people from the dead, he said, I want to give you a picture of what it's like in heaven. There's no dead people. There's no death. There's no dying. It's over. But the widow's son, she died again. Jairus' daughter, she died again. Lazarus, he died again. But there's one person that Jesus raised from the dead that never died again. And that was himself. He says, nobody takes my life except I lay it down and I pick it up. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the demonstration to this world that Jesus conquered sin and death. The resurrection matters and it matters because Jesus conquered sin and death for all times. Now those who hunger, those who are longing for a true home, a true family. Let's look at what it says in John 5:28 and 29. We didn't read this, so let me bring in. Jesus now says, after you've listened to me carefully twice, 
He says, don't marvel at what I just told you about life. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. He's saying right there that everyone that's been dead will hear his voice and they will be raised. Everyone. Mao, dead, he'll be raised. Hitler, dead, he will be raised. Mother Teresa, dead, she will be raised. That's his point. But look what he says. And come out, those who have done good, you got two destinies. The resurrection of life and the resurrection of judgment. Judgment is the process of God determining the future. So just as there are two destinies, there's two resurrections. There's two resurrections. There's the resurrection of life and there's a resurrection of judgment. And that's where Easter forces us. Everyone has a choice. Everyone here has a choice. All of us will stand before a holy God. Some of us will be able to say, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. And some of us have resisted. Everyone will be raised, but the ones who have put their trust in Christ, the one who has the map, the one who is the map, we find life. The ones who try to do it on their own will find death and judgment for all eternity. Now we love to talk about lives that are changed at Fox Valley Church. We love to hear the stories of how God is working. And I could tell lots of stories, but it's always better to hear a story straight from their lips. Would you listen to this story? Hey, I'm Andre, and this is my wife, Lindsay. We've been coming to Fox Valley for about a year now, or about exactly a year. Uh, we have five kids, um, and this is our story. My background growing up was we went to church every Sunday. My brother and I would go into Sunday school and my mother would go into what we call the big church. So then we were in Sunday school and the thing for us was just looking forward to seeing our friends that we knew in Sunday school. You know, it was like a, almost like a play date or something for us. We're just going to church and we just want to have fun with our friends, you know, that type of thing. So no, my, I never really had a deep relationship with God at all growing up. I grew up in a family that was kind of all over the place with faith. My parents intentionally didn't have any faith conversations with us because they didn't want to influence us kind of in any particular way, um, which ended up being kind of a de facto influence and I never had any, any big thoughts about God until a very specific day in 2016 when I realized I was having my first miscarriage. And I was so broken. I was so broken and I didn't know what to do. I came home from work and fell into Andre's arms. And I told him that our baby could was not going to make it. But there was a sense in me that everything was going to be okay. 
and that the Holy Spirit was telling me, I've got this baby. <laughs> I knew that where, wherever God was, I needed to be. So when she first brought that to me, that we should start looking for churches, at first, honestly, I did it as a thing for her. You know, I felt it more for her. Church has been so far from my mind. And she says this, and I'm like, okay, sure, let's go, let's do this. I think that at that moment, God was speaking to me too, just by making it so that it was so easy for me to step into this. I wasn't resistant at all to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Our first few weeks at Fox Valley were amazing. And it's so inviting that it makes you want to come back again and again. One of the pastors at church came up and introduced himself to me and asked me if we wanted to go, if we wanted to do lunch or something. I said, sure, yeah. And he just kind of asked about, you know, my past, my, my spiritual past, where I'd come from, what things I thought maybe I was looking for. And explaining it to him, I came to the real, realization that I didn't really understand what the true gospel was about. Uh, we have to accept that, you know, we're sinners, but that Jesus Christ, his death paid for that. So when we accept Jesus as our savior, that's our salvation. Not that we have to work for salvation. We have to constantly be doing these things, checking these things off a list to make it to salvation. I had never been told the gospel that way. I mean, I remember sitting there that day and it was like something just came over me, this sense of relief. You mean I'm saved just by accepting? just by having faith and believing that God and Jesus have done these things for me. And I was overwhelmed. I remember my heart started beating faster. I got this sense of this freedom. You know, all of a sudden I'm walking through the world differently with a different understanding of my relationship with God. It was so freeing and so relieving. And I think I went through life thinking I'm a good person, but there was always, now that I think back, an emptiness of say purpose or what is life about? which is serving God and spreading the gospel. So I never used to sing at church, never. I, and I still don't sing all the time, right? It's awful. Like, that's why she's laughing, it's terrible. <laughs> but I will sing in church now. This is the church family. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to exalt him and, you know, praise him and just let it go, have faith, sing, put your hand in the air. It's amazing. Yeah, I love it. He has become so much more of a leader in our house and i can only attribute that i mean he's a he's a great man obviously but i can only attribute that to the work of the holy spirit and i think the influence of some really wonderful godly men that are in this church this is something that we can't do really on our own most of the time having a mentor you know a spiritual mentor someone who's been where you are in, in your baby steps, and they're already in a place where they can now help you to make those next steps. I'm challenging everyone, but, but men especially, try to find a spiritual man in the church. There are plenty of them, and they're all willing to help you. You know, If you wanna go up and talk to any of the pastors, any of the elders, any of the other congregation members, I just challenge people to really think about doing that. That, that will so, so much help you to take your next steps. Maybe you are doing all of the things that we're all told to do, going to church, reading your Bible, joining a life group, those sorts of things. 
but you're still you still feel like you're missing something. The word that keeps coming to my mind is surrender. I remember trying to hold on all by myself, even though I intellectually grasped the idea of God, I never had a relationship. I never went to that next level. And I don't think I was ever really saved until I let go. What an amazing story. What an amazing story. And Lindsay and Andrea are right here. They sit up front every week. We just thank them. <laughs> and now there's a lot in the story that we, we could say, but one thing Andre did was he, he drove home a point. He drove home a simple point. You mean all I have to do is believe? Isn't that what Jesus said? He who hears my word and believes the Father who sent me. Believe what? I think very simply this, that Jesus is who he says he is. He didn't leave this as a neutral question. He didn't leave it as a guessing game. He made it clear, I and the Father are one. He was equal with God. So we need to believe that. The Father who sent him. The Father who said, this is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. Secondly, we need to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. We too often, and religion is so much like this, try to earn your way to God. All religions say that. Jesus breaks from the herd and he says, you'll never earn your way to heaven. You could never work hard enough and guess what? You could never be good enough. But Jesus says, I can take care of that. It's called grace. We can't earn it. He just gives it. And we receive it by believing. So we need to believe that we are separated from God, that there's a hunger in our heart that we're longing for that only Jesus can fill. And believe Him that He died on that cross to pay the penalty of sin. The reason we know that He conquered sin and conquered death is He was raised from the dead. That's why we celebrate Easter. The third thing we need to believe is that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is God's provision for you and for me. So how do we do that? We just simply receive Him. We simply bow our hearts. And as Lindsay made clear, we need to at some point in our lives surrender. If you're here and you have never made that decision, to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's two destinies at stake. One destiny is life, and one destiny is death. Jesus is the only way. All you have to do is pray. All you have to do is say, Father, I have sinned against you. I want Jesus to pay the penalty of my sin so that I can pass out of judgment and into life. It's a very simple prayer. It's the attitude of the heart. It's not the words. And Jesus says, anyone who will trust me, I will give them eternal life. I will reunite them with their true heavenly father. I'll bring them into a true family. I will give them 
eternal life. I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, to do that today. And after you do that, would you tell somebody, come up and tell me, or Julian will be back at Guest Central or Connect Central, tell him. Now, why do I want you to tell someone? So that we can help you take your next steps. Just like Andre said in the video, we want to help people grow. The easiest thing to do is talk to Pastor Brad, talk to myself, talk to Julian, and we want to step in there and help you grow. Now, let's say you've already made that decision. I want to encourage you this Easter to say that you want to cultivate a heart posture of daily surrendering to Jesus Christ. It's, it's the way of the Christian life to surrender, to live a life of surrender. And you will see the beauty of what Jesus was talking about when he said that the life begins now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. I pray for everyone here right now that they would have a blessed Easter. For those young women, those men that are here that have never trusted Christ, that today would be the day. Help them to make that decision, to pray that prayer. For those that have made that decision, God, help us to walk in a path, a path of surrender, a surrender to Jesus Christ. He truly is the map for all people. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.